Welcome to Next of Kin, a parent's podcast. I'm your host, Emma. I'm a British expat living in Dubai, UAE with my partner and baby girl. Join me on my expat motherhood journey. I'll be discussing different topics each week and we'll be joined by some wonderful guests. Now, if you're a mum, you're short on time. So let's jump right in. Welcome back and thanks for listening. This week, it's official. Next of kin, my new baby has been born. I have the trade license here and I feel like a real grown-up business owner. I can't believe it. For those of you who are interested in that side of my life right now, I recently quit my full-time job and I'm on week four of working for myself. I'm still breastfeeding. I know last week my mum lemma was how to get a baby to take a bottle, but these first few episodes are going to be recorded a month or two in advance of the launch, so that's why I haven't actually got any feedback or advice from you guys yet. That being said, my girl has suddenly started loving drinking water with her meal from a bottle. I used to give her sippy cups, open cups, straws, and I know that's good to do, and it's great to get her used to those, but she does ultimately always end up spilling it down herself or breathing it in, coughing, spluttering. So I went back to the bottle and she loves it. Do we think though that this will convert to milk? I am actually really hesitant to even try. I think I'm traumatized from trying to get her to take a bottle before I went back to work and how dramatically that whole situation ended with work. So now I have a little bit of PTSD, I think, when it comes to bottles. So really, I should try because being able to get stuck into work without being interrupted for milk constantly could be a game changer. But then we've also come this far. For ages, I didn't understand why people said that they would be upset about giving up breastfeeding. But we've done seven months now and I actually would be so sad to not have those two hourly check-ins for milkies and cuddles. I think it's around this age that you start to get that realisation that they're suddenly gaining some independence. They start weaning, my baby is desperate to crawl. And I know that in no time, all of what we've gone through with pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding, caring for her and keeping her alive, that's all going to be forgotten and she'll decide she's a daddy's girl, won't she? (laughs) Anyway... More on the business end of things. I'm also starting to see designs come to reality now. So this is a really exciting part of launching a business. Anyone who listened to the podcast will know that my background is as a fashion buyer, most recently for a luxury Italian brand for their stores here in the Middle East. I'm not sure if I meant to tell you the name, so I'll just leave it there. But you you can probably guess who they are. I'm not looking to launch a luxury brand myself because I've noticed a gap in the market here for everyday kinds of baby clothes that I want to buy and I really can't find them so I decided I will make them myself. Anyway I actually have suppliers now, I have samples in progress, even a bank account and a finance system, all of that's getting up and running so I guess we're doing this and I'm excited to bring you all along for the ride. So in the pilot episode I told you I have a pregnant best friend and I gave you my rules for talking to pregnant people. This was obviously after telling you I wouldn't be preaching, but I stand by it. (laughs) I think it was worth the preach. I mentioned in that episode about baby name etiquette, and I thought for this episode I would jump on the baby names I love but won't be using trend. I absolutely love baby names. I could discuss them all day long. In fact, names and baby clothes, those are my two guilty mum pleasures. So if you're interested too, 
or if we have enough pregnant listeners who need the inspo, I'd be very happy to make this some sort of regular feature. I also think I'm the opposite of a lot of people. I always hear mums saying that they have big, long lists of girls' names, but struggle with the boys' names, and I'm completely the other way around. My name style is probably rediscovered names that aren't too popular, so I don't like a name to be in the top 10, but I don't really go quirky. My little girl is called Bonnie. This was the only girl's name that I liked enough to go with. Well, the only girl's name that I liked enough to go with and my partner also agreed on, and that was obviously very difficult. But it filled all my requirements. It's kind of a rediscovered old name. My other requirements are to have good nicknames and being able to grow throughout her life with this name. So right now she mainly gets called Baby Bonnie, Bon Bon. But how fabulous will Grandma Bonnie be? Or I can totally approve of her going by Bo as an adult. Then for the middle name. I'll tell you first what we went with and why. She's called Bonnie Lila. Lila was a very last minute choice and the only name I said and my partner actually loved. So he vetoes absolutely all of the names, but he doesn't come up with any good suggestions. I think a few of you will have partners like that. I'm so glad that we went for Bonnie because she is an absolute bonbon. There's something mischievous about it that she absolutely embodies. But I came up with Lila after seeing it on both an Arabic and a Filipino name list. And so this was my very particular requirement for her middle name. Bonnie doesn't really have any meaning for us. It's Scottish. I've never even really been to Scotland other than flying in and out for a few hours at a time for supplier meetings, but not even overnight. But we obviously live in Dubai, so she was born here. And I really like the idea of something Arabic. Her grandma is a Filipina, so I wanted to honour that in her name too. I've only just now realised that I could have done two separate middle names for this, but I decided to set myself the challenge of finding her, of finding her a name which worked in Arabic, Filipino and English. Oh, and that we both agreed on. So Lila basically means lilac or purple in the Philippines but I have used the Arabic spelling, so I put a H on the end. The only other middle name which met my requirements was Tala. And have you figured out yet why I couldn't use that? (laughs) I'll tell you first a bit about it as my first baby name I love but won't be using. Maybe I'll even use it one day, but I really couldn't use it with Bonnie. It means shooting star or bright shining star in both Arabic and Filipino. How sweet is that? So beautiful. However, my daughter would then be called Bonnie Tala. So I'll repeat that, Bonnie Tala. Like I'm sure Bonnie Tyler is great, but I can't even tell you a Bonnie Tyler song off the top of my head. So I definitely wasn't naming my child after. (laughs) My other baby name for a girl that I love but won't be using is Ottilie. I just love it. I love Otti, Tilly. I love all the variations. Depending on the source, it's either an old English, French or German name, meaning prosperous. My partner absolutely hates it. I think both of our families would hate it too. So (laughs) it was definitely off the table. 
I know the influencers Zoella and Alfie Days have had a little baby girl who's called Ottilie Rue Days and I absolutely love this. This is perfection to me. I would have even liked the middle name Rue as well but would probably have gone for Wren. So let's make Wren my third baby name that I love but won't be using. Wren would totally not have suited Bonnie. She's currently 97th percentile in weight, so there's nothing little about her and the meaning of Wren is little bird. So I'm glad I didn't go for Wren. But those are my three baby girl names that I love but won't be using. Tala, Ottilie and Wren. So let's move on to the boys. This is difficult because maybe I will have a boy one day. I've had to skim off the top the most likely names that we'd possibly go for and that I could realistically get past my partner. Obviously, we might also have a girl one day, but I don't think I would go with any of those names now. Maybe Tala. I still think it's beautiful and has such a lovely meaning. But for boys, as I said, there's loads I could go with. So one that I for sure would pick but my partner says no to is Rafe. The meaning for this is Old English for Wolf Council. So again, that means absolutely nothing to me. I was totally influenced by Chris and Rosie Ramsey and their perfectly named children, Robin and Rafe Ramsey. Love it. Amazing. Another R name I love is Ripley. But again, this got vetoed. It's also Old English, meaning a strip of woodland between two towns and can actually be for girls or boys. Yep, no meaning for me there. (laughs) But I think it's so sweet. And I guess I just don't feel strongly enough to campaign for that one. My last baby name I love but won't be using is Theodore. I just absolutely adore Theodore but it seems that everyone else does too. So I think it might have even made it into the top 10 now. For me, it's the perfect name. I love a long name that you can shorten and also give young playful variations for. So Theodore, Theo, Teddy, it's just so lovely. However, I do already know a million and one Theos. So personally, I just can't use it. In my immediate friendship group, I was actually the first one to have a baby. I'm not particularly young, but for some reason, they're all taking their time. Now we've got a few more springing up. But when it comes to birth and discussing this, I've recommended the Positive Birth Company's hypnobirthing course to quite a few of my friends now. So I thought I would make this a segment. This one is probably more for our pregnant mamas or those who are just intrigued. But I thought I would give my I thought I would give my thoughts on hypnobirthing, the pros, the cons, and who I think it would be most useful for. I personally only did the online course. I found it useful to prepare myself and my partner and to breathe through contractions as much as possible. But I didn't really use many of the other pain management tools that they discuss. Let me start off then with giving you an explanation of hypnobirthing. Firstly, for anyone who doesn't know, it has absolutely nothing to do with hypnosis. Honestly, I think it needs a rebrand because the name straight away goes all hippy-dippy, hoo-ha vibes, which puts off a lot of people. Some descriptions I read focus on the labour and the tools it teaches for pain management, 
such as the breathing that I already mentioned, the relaxation, the visualization. Other sources say it aims to reduce the anxiety and fear around birth, which I do think it does. Obviously, my experience is based solely on the Positive Birth Company's version of hypnobirthing. But what a lot of women dread is that they are going to be feeling totally out of control and in so much pain during birth. And I felt that this has handed me back a bit of that control by arming me with a lot of scientific knowledge about birth. So not so hoo-ha, hippy-dippy at all. It's quite science-based. And it really teaches you about the different stages, what you might feeling and why and what's going to happen. I found this extra useful for my partner who told me that he was really glad he did the classes with me because it made everything a lot less scary for him, being able to know exactly what was going on. And it also teaches you to make the best informed decisions. But with that said, I don't think hypnobirthing is for the kind of person who would rather go into birth oblivious and instead to put all the responsibility and decision making into the doctor's hands. Of course, this is a very valid way to be. But for my personality type, that would have been quite scary. So overall, I learned a lot of very scientific facts and it empowered me to make my own decisions, which were best for me and my baby during labour. And on top of that, my partner was able to support me in the best way possible. There's a section in the course that's even tailored on how to be a great birth partner. Now, the informed decision making is definitely an aspect of hypnobirthing that's quite useful. They give you a technique on how to uh, make informed decisions in high stress or difficult moments um, that can be used across a multitude of (laughs) times, not just when you're in labour or as a birth partner in labour. The way I used this in my own birth was that I was offered a drip to speed things up at multiple points and I declined this because although it was a very, very slow labour, I intuitively knew that my baby and my body were doing just fine and I had that confidence to decline it. Another example would be when it came down to deciding whether I should get in the birthing pool or do the exact opposite and get an epidural. I was able to really weigh up the pros and cons and make the right decision. I also tuned into staying as calm as possible and staying in the zone by using the breathing and was ultimately able to labour for a very long time unmedicated. And this is really useful for the start of labour before you go into the hospital uh, because that can be quite a painful time. Now, a few points from my course, which I really wasn't so fond of. Firstly, would be that it's mentioned that pain is not meant to be a part of labour and birth. And that if you feel pain, then that is your body telling you something is wrong and that you maybe need to relax or whatever, whatever that might be. I think that in itself can give you cause for concern. I'm sure that there are people that were so relaxed and in the zone that they didn't find labour and birth painful. But personally, I have not come across one yet. Secondly, and this is a point that my midwife also brought up, is the idea that you do not need to push. You can just relax and breathe your baby out. Apparently, this is possible for subsequent children, but pretty unlikely on your first. 
Your body does push itself quite a lot, but there's that last little bend that you are going to need to give a helping push for. Interestingly to me, the author didn't use hypnobirthing with her first child. That's the author of the Positive Birth Company course, the one I'm referring to. And so I wonder if that's why she thinks that you can just breathe them all out. Third pro, I guess could also be a con. The course is super empowering to tune into your intuition and obviously this decision making aspect. But I think sometimes it's maybe overly so and you are going to end up saying no to everything when maybe you do need to listen to your doctor. But if you're in the UAE, you can find yourself a fabulous doctor who will respect your birth wishes and leave you to hypnobirth or birth however you want to without all this unnecessary intervention. My doctor even told me straight that he will let me get on with it and make suggestions, for example, like the drip, but that he would make it known to me if it was something really serious and that I should definitely listen to him. The rest are just suggestions. And so that was super reassuring to me. If anyone does want my doctor's name, by the way, just DM me. I wouldn't have wanted to go with anyone else. He was incredible. So that's my roundup of hypnobirthing. I'd be very interested to hear some stories from our community on this topic. And I'm most intrigued to hear from the mums who didn't experience any pain and breathed out their baby. I just can't imagine that even being a thing. (laughs) If you didn't listen to the pilot episode, you might not already know that two segments to the podcast that I want to end every episode with are the mum lemma and a recommendation. If you have a mum lemma that you want me to throw out to the Next of Kin family, please DM me on Instagram. I'm at nextofkin.ae. Equally, if you have a great hint, tip or product that you'd like me to share as a recommendation, do get in touch. My mum lemma this week is around routines. I really thought that you got your baby into a routine pretty quickly. You just adapted it as they grew up and maybe extend the wake window. I also thought that all babies love routine, but my bond is just not bothered at all by a routine. So as I said before, she's moved herself firmly into our bed and refuses to leave. So before I was going to bed super early with her because I couldn't for the life of me get her into her cot. And I mean, we really had some standoffs, so I did try very hard to get her in her cot. Clearly, she's far more stubborn than me. So I decided to make the most of our lovely snuggles, go to bed with her, sit on my phone until I was ready to go to sleep myself and just make the most of that being our cute little nighttime routine. We did have a bit more of an extended routine than that. So obviously we had uh, pyjamas, new nappy, then she'd even go for a little walk with her dad whilst I got ready, then all into bed for story time together, etc, etc. Anyway, obviously I'd been sacrificing my own evenings because I'd just been scrolling on my phone and then falling asleep with her in bed. So it's not really a proper way to spend my evenings and she does need to go to bed at between seven and eight. I was fine with this. Obviously, it's just a small part of my life. But then there was a new season of Selling Sunset. (laughs) I didn't watch it for a while, but as soon as I watched one, Obviously, I needed to binge watch and carry on and watch them all. 
Bonnie had napped late that day, so bedtime was up in the air anyway, and she ended up just falling asleep on me in front of Selling Sunset. I thought, ah, well, we'll get her into a routine tomorrow. And then I thought, oh, I've got a few more episodes to watch. (laughs) So I can just do the exact same thing, get a few more episodes of Selling Sunset in. It's not just the bedtime routine either. I've tried different routines in the day and it just never sticks, particularly around nap time. Apparently, this is quite typical for high needs or Velcro babies. So I wonder how our next of kin community have experienced routines. Should I just scrap it, stick to wait windows and let her fall asleep on me in front of the telly till I carry her to bed? Or am I setting myself up for disaster? (laughs) Bear in mind she's seven, nearly eight months old. So did you have a routine hating baby who then got into a routine? I just would be really interested to know. Okay, and after putting out the mum lemma, I like to give back in some way. Seeing as we've spoken about baby names this week, a thought just came to me and I have a really great recommendation for you. It's another app. It's the Kinder app. I didn't use this myself when choosing Bonnie's name, but I really wish that I had because, as I said, my partner vetoed all names. But this app is genius. The name Kinder is because it's basically Tinder for baby names. So you both download it, swipe away at different names, get inspired. And then if you have a match, you'll know. So that's genius for especially for picky partners. Thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to support, you can do so by rating and reviewing and sharing with your friends. Please join our community on Instagram at nextofkin.ae and DM me with your questions, suggestions and mum lemmas. You can also email podcast at nextofkin.ae. I'd love to hear from you. See you next time. Mm-hmm.